This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, guys? Hope everybody is doing well since we last visited. It is early June, which means most of you are only about three months away from kicking off your waterfowl seasons. I know it feels like a really long time, but I'm telling you, it'll be here before you know it. Today, we are joined by a good friend of Dive Bomb Industries, operator of Final Descent Guide Service in Lubbock, Texas, Mr. Hunter Pickett. Hunter, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good. Thanks for uh, having me on. No doubt, man. Well, I appreciate appreciate you taking your time and, and joining us. What um, What do you got going on this time of year? You know, not much, man, especially with all the stuff that's going on lately with this COVID crap, but uh, really just hanging out and working out, trying to stay busy till hunting season rolls around, you know, just doing some small stuff around the house here and there. And that's really it. Easy. Been trying to work with easy a little bit, keep him in shape, but he's got a limp going on. Uh, so trying to figure that out at the same time. But other than that, just looking forward to another season. How old is easy now? Easy's five now. He's five. How many birds has that dog picked up, you think? Man, I don't even know. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I have no clue. A lot. It's yeah. funny. I was I was talking to Forrest about, you know, Lila and the number of birds she's picked up. And whew, it's a lot. You know, some of these guide dogs, man, you guys that are, you know, really successful at what you do, boy, them dogs, you talk about getting some reps in, getting some steps in, man. So I know Easy at, at five years old, he's – probably picked up more in in five years than most dogs you know doing five lifetimes yeah yeah no and been super blessed with an awesome dog man i mean i actually used to have uh the brother to lila forest pup and that dog was a little tank and cannonball and then got easy and he's just he's an animal but it seems like every year there's something that comes along and puts him out for a little bit some kind of ridiculous Puts him on the DL for a little while <laughs> dude it's like come on man like and it's like well now you think about it you know i mean when you're running every single day you know think about it like athletes you know and and when you're in like high school and stuff and you're only playing like once a week maybe twice a week it's not that bad but you know baseball you get in you play in 160 games over the course of six seven months you get all these injuries man think about it like a god dog it's like you know you got a weekend you know a weekend warrior dog that might hunt you know maybe a half dozen times a year they might pick up 30 40 birds i mean pick 100 on a good year i mean your dog they're going day in and day out and they're going hard and they're picking up a lot of numbers for a lot of clients so it's almost like a freaking you know it's almost like a professional athlete like going to work so you know you get these little these little uh injuries that 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 put them on the dl for a little bit man (laughs) yeah exactly and like i mean this is like the first one that's like it was like a strain kind of happened earlier in the year and then kind of got over it and it came back and it's just been on and off. But like this fall in Canada, Foxtail got hammered by oh, Foxtail. Man. Like he was at the vet for a couple of days back and forth with that. And then uh, a couple of years ago, somehow in the middle of the night, let him out to go to the bathroom. He comes in, it looks like a murder scene in the house from all the blood. And he like sliced his entire like big, pad off his foot and that put him out for like six months dude it's just like but so this thing we're trying to take it easy trying to 
keep him in shape somewhat, you know, it's always a battle during the off season. He's obviously, you can work him every day, but it's not the same as him out hunting and stuff like that. And it's funny, like his weight will fluctuate. Like during the summer, he sits at like 90 pounds probably. And, uh, doesn't look fat, you know, but then right. He's a big dog. I mean, he's stature. He's a, he's a big lab. Yeah. He's got some bolder shoulders on him for sure. You know? And then like two weeks into the season, he looks like super jacked and ripped and he's he's built for the ground. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's built for the ground. It's something, man. It's they, they, that dog, you know, as much as, as much of a grind as it is for a, a hard charging lab, I can tell you, I can I can guarantee there's no other life that they would rather live than going out there and working their ass off for you. And even though oh, yeah. at the, the day it hurts and it might, you know, it might shorten their their lifespan, at least on some of my labs. Unfortunately, it maybe led to a little bit shorter lifespan, but I tell you what, the quality of life in those years was through the roof. There's no like fifteen years of just laying around and hanging out. I mean, this is quality of life traveling and experiencing awesome things and hunting in a, just an amazing variety of different locations and different birds and so man i can tell you there's there's no no place else they would they would rather be i, I know that oh yeah no exactly man you're you're totally right and they don't understand the injuries like you leave them at home because it's like well you're hurt and they're looking at you like did I right. do something wrong like what the, the heck you know oh, yeah so it's nice like when you came down to texas and you had simba like and it's like, all right, cool. Like, leave your dog at home. Give him a day off, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, break, definitely. Like, like Peyton, one of the guys that works, uh, one of the guys that owns part of Final Descent, he, he's he got, I guess, a normal job, you know, and can hunt most of the time here and there. But uh, he's got a kick-ass little lab, and it's like, okay, bring her. I'll leave easy. Make make me let him have a day off. So Definitely. It's nice when that yeah. happens. I know you're getting out and about, and I know you're, you know, you're, you're, pumping up you're working out a lot are you going to come back to the field looking like um like arnold schwarzenegger this fall or what dude i don't know about that i'm shooting for more like a, <laughs> shooting for more like a rocky Balboa look you know? okay <laughs> all right i hear you the, i hear you man yeah right um <laughs> so um you know b- before we get get going too too far um let's talk a little bit about your 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 hunting background let's talk about um, where you grew up and when you got into waterfowl hunting. Yeah, man. So I, uh, I was born and raised in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, one of our, I mean, I grew up right here around a bunch of some of the best waterfowl hunters you'll ever meet, you know, um, one of them's Forrest. Uh, you know, he kind of, like we talked about earlier, he's one of the guys, him and Zach were like the two dudes that really taught me pretty much everything I know about hunting. Um, I was very blessed and fortunate, uh, where I grew up. My grandparents had the the Boulder Creek that ran through their property in a like five acre pond and unreal for waterfowl hunting. And, you know, my, my, uh, family, all big game hunters, like my granddad does a little bit of waterfowl. My dad does now that I have done it, but I have actually never even been big game hunting. I could have cared less about it, but all I knew growing up was jump shooting ducks on the creek and trying to jump shoot geese off the pond and got into high school, met Forrest and Zach, and those two dudes were awesome, and I was super blessed to like have those guys take me under the wing, and they might have been using me for my awesome property, but 
at the same time, I got a pretty cool return in learning how to, I guess, do things the right way, you know? Oh, Forrest would never do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Don't Forrest, man, <laughs> he is he is a gem. I think everybody that, that knows Forrest or heard anything about him, um, they've there's nobody that's got any, a, bad, a bad thing to say about Forrest Carpenter. That guy is, he, he's a quality of a, of a human being as there is. And we're, we're uh, just absolutely honored to have him a part of what we're doing at dive bomb. And, and um, we love him. He's, he's absolutely great. So man, I'll tell you what you learned from, you learned from a, a good one. So you actually um, are a guy that kind of started waterfowl hunting a little bit later on in the life you're not one of those guys that was that was in diapers at going chasing ducks and geese yeah you know i mean i don't want to get myself in trouble and say i was doing anything sneaking out of the house and playing sick when i was a little kid but <laughs> you know both the parents were working i might play sick here a little bit and grandpa would just drop me off down at the river and uh you know i was probably i'd say i was probably uh, 11 when i shot my right. first ducks uh got you the granddad that I was talking about that does a little bit of waterfowl hunting, uh, we he took me out and actually the first duck hunt I ever went on, we shot a limit of widgeon, and ever since then, uh, widgeon have been my favorite duck by far. But uh, yeah, no, I wasn't one of those guys that was raised in the duck blind, going out when I was two years old, what with dad and his buddies or anything like that. You know, dad, awesome big game hunter. He's got one of the best bighorn sheep I've ever seen trophy and stuff like that. And they always ask like, Hey, you want to start putting in for tags or get over the counter? I was like, no, why would I miss, why would I go up to the mountains right. for a weekend and miss the opportunity <laughs> to go shoot some ducks? You know, in my mind, it's always been why put so much effort and money into shooting one animal right. when I can go shoot, you know, limits over and over. Definitely. But, now, when when did you decide you wanted to be a guide? What what made you what what prompted that? Um, you know, I was working uh I used to work on cell towers and uh had a buddy, Braden, he was he had actually just done a year of guiding. Um he liked it, had some other buddies guiding and they kinda liked it and I had worked on cell towers for probably three or four years, you know, and, uh, it was just always on call. It was like two of us that had to take care of like 263 towers in Northern Colorado and Wyoming. So like couldn't leave, like couldn't be away from the work truck for like half an hour distance in response time. So like I was hardly getting the hunt, you know, and just knowing the right people and some friends, kind of asked me like, Hey, like there's an opportunity here and there and went and did a spring deal and was able to just take like two weeks of PTO from the tower company. And then that guy offered me a, uh, fall and spring job and just needed something to fall into place for the winter. Had another job offer there. And ever since then, it's just, I said, screw it. Like much rather do this. And then I got easy and, uh, I couldn't even imagine working like 12 hours, 13 hours a day, hardly be able to like get to hunt and have this awesome machine, not get to use it, you know? Right. So now what year was that, that you started guiding full time? It's probably, it's been five years. Okay. Cause easy was, I'd gotten easy actually. And that's like what, like 
yeah, I'm gonna do this full time because he was he was a puppy. Like I had just gotten him. Uh, this would actually be spring five. So yeah, five years ago, Easy was just a puppy, and that's when I decided, you know, gonna do this full time. So. Now, you know, I get questions like almost daily from guys that are aspiring to become a waterfowl guide. And I think that's great. But I also believe there are some misconceptions and a false sense of reality that's often created by the glamour of social media. Um, What are some of the less glamorous aspects of being a waterfowl guide that many guys just simply do not know about? Um, you know, obviously you're not burning the barn down every day and you got people paying money and they have expectations, you know, and most of the clients that I say outfitters deal with are people that do hunt and hunt on their own. So they understand, you know, Hey, it's hunting, but at the same time, you know, they're paying money to go on a guided hunt. And if it doesn't work out, the disappointment that you see in their face and reactions sometimes. And I mean, when I first started guiding, like some clients would say something and like, I took it personal, like, man, I am a piece of shit. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> and now after so many, you just kind of, it just, you don't even hear it. And it's just like, Oh, it's hunting. You know, like I took you to the best spot that I had. Um, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's been times where I've hunted a field with 10,000 geese and, a hundred comeback for no reason. The field's right. still full of food. You put them to bed. The weather is the exact same as it's been the three days that they've been in there. And you don't know if somebody jumped your roost or somebody passed shot your roost or just for right. some reason, they're like, Hey, let's go this way today. But, uh, that, and just, you know, some people are able to guide like in their hometown or home area to where they go back to their house at night, you know, but some people are, on the go to where it's Canada. For me, I live in Colorado and it's Canada and Texas. So actually having a home, I guess, you know, is right. It's kind of not a thing. Girlfriend, not a thing, you know? Uh, so it just depends on that, but really it's just, it's not all just burning limits every day. And right. It's not all really, huge piles, huge rainouts all the time. Exactly. You know, and, and really hardly anymore, I don't even pull the trigger. A lot of outfits don't even let their guides carry guns in the field, which thankfully we're not like that. Now we don't, obviously, you don't shoot more in your birds, but I don't want to fill the freezer full of goose meat because personally, I can't only make so much jerky. Now, Texas down in crane or crane country, I'll shoot my cranes because we grill them up all the time. That's awesome. I carry my gun goose hunting in case I see something cool, you know, a collar or a cross. Right. But uh, I think so many people are like, oh, I want to get into guiding because that just means I get to hunt and shoot right. every single day. Exactly. You know, and, and if you're doing that, you're just going to run into problems. One, possession limit. You know, everybody knows if you're literally shooting your birds every day, you're not eating them that fast. And that's like why we, we, don't shoot hardly ever. Um, and the cranes, we do eat them that fast. It's, we have parties at the barn and grill them up for clients right there as we clean them and stuff like that. So it's awesome. But, uh, yeah, it's not just laying there and pulling the trigger as fast as you can every day and being this rock star to people. And some days you are the rock star and sometimes you're a dud and these people look at you like, 
I'm paying you for what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's yeah. the hardest part for me is not disappointing people, but just not showing them what it can be. Right. You know? Yeah. You, you, you mean, you get to see it all the time and how special it is. And I, I can understand that you get a, a guy and his son or a group of guys that's never experienced the madness of West Texas. And it just, it never unfolds the way that it's more than capable of unfolding. That's kind of disappointing because anybody that's, that's just a good person that genuinely cares about other people, you want people to, you want one, they you want them to get their money's worth, but do you want them to get to experience something really, really special? So obviously you can't control that. There's so many uncontrollables on waterfowl hunting, but like you said, if you're going out and you're putting everybody on an A field and giving it your best effort with your best attitude, the things that you can control, then ultimately at the end of the day, that's all you can do, you know? So, yeah, exactly. Um, and another thing is, if you're going to be a full-time guide, you just got to go into it knowing that you're always going to be upside down on your pickup, you know? Like, shoot, right, I, bought, right. I bought a new diesel this last year, new to me. And put on 80,000 miles. And it's just like, gosh, dog. Man, like, that's crazy. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said a lot of guys, I can tell that they message me, they think it's just hunting. You get to to paid, you get paid to hunt. And I just, I'm just like, man, it's just not like that, man. You, you, yeah, you do to an extent, you get paid to hunt, but there's so much that goes into it. I mean, the amount of time prepping, scouting, cleaning birds, among, a million other things, you guys get very, very little sleep. I mean, you you basically run on fumes and energy drinks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, it's just, it's it's a lot of work. It really is, you know, and a lot of people like, you know, a lot of people that outside of the hunting world, you know, and there you go. There's another thing. If you're going to be a waterfowl guide, you're going to have people in your life that are like, Oh, you should get a real job. Well, you should grow up. It's like, oh, actually, I'm very fortunate where I'm at with the guys I work with. They take unreal care of me. I make more than I did climbing cell towers. It's harder work than when I climbed cell towers, and that job sucked, man. <laughs> like, you know, it was cool, but at the same time, it was tough. But you might have family or friends that are like, oh, you're just out there hunting for fun, having fun. It's like, no, man, you like have no idea. Yeah, like, you don't get it, active. man. And like the stress, like. I try not to stress too much just because. But hell, I mean, anybody that cares, if you care about something, you're going to stress some about it. Uh, You've got a group of clients that's come in that's, you know, they're, they're, you know, guys that have been good, loyal clients and they're just great people. I mean, you really want to put on a show for those people. And, you know, it just. It, and I'm sure it's absolutely awesome when things are rolling and you're just kicking ass for a week or two weeks. But, you know, the highs are, 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 have got to be awesome, but you know, the lows, when they get low, they can probably get pretty low too. you know, whenever birds get pressured and they get stale, the weather gets stale. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, I, this year in Texas, the last two weeks that we had clients for crane hunting was picked up, uh, pretty good. And very fortunate that we crushed cranes the last couple weeks of season. Um, but the goose hunting there at the end of the season, usually it's easy as ever, you know, man, it just got tough. Like no matter what you did, I mean, and it was like, man, maybe it's me. So like one of, one of our other guys goes and runs a goose hunt on a stacked field. Well, maybe it's just us, you know, talking to Will, Will Riddle. He's 
one of the best goose killers you'll meet like ever. And he's like, man, I'm seeing the same thing over here. It's just like, you know, like just get tough, man. And how, you, and how do you explain that to clients? Like, Hey, right. They expect so, you to be Superman <laughs> every day. Yeah. And especially the hardest part is when you, when all your birds do show back up to your field and want nothing to do with it. And they're like, well, we saw thousands of geese. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't know how did the birds yeah. not show up, <laughs> you know, because then you'd be like, well, maybe somebody jumped the roost. I don't know. Right. But yeah, it's, that's... yeah, it's, it's got its ups and downs, but it seems like when the downs come, it's like kind of just, they keep on stacking up, you know, and you just got to keep your head up and right. it'll all turn around. And man, I think when the that's good probably what separate guys that, that, that stay in it and they keep rolling and the guys that you see them go somewhere and then they're, they're just gone at the end of the year. They just, it, it's it. They're, they're done uh, with it and they just couldn't, couldn't handle it. I've seen yeah, man, I mean, so many guys think they were going to guide and then they get, a lot of them don't even make it a year and they just fizzle out. It's just not what they thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I mean, I like went into it with the wrong expectation. Yeah. And like I said, I've only been doing this five years, man. Like look at like somebody like Dusty or Derek McDaniels, those dudes have been doing it for a long time. I can't even imagine the stuff that they've seen, the tough times they've went through. And they're still just as gung-ho as we are, if not more about it, you know? Yeah. It's just, like you said, it's the guys yeah, that... Yeah, when you're passionate about it, you're passionate about it, you know? And, yeah. And, you know, those guys are really good at at what they do. You know, there's a reason they've been doing it a long time. Um, you know, it's because they, they know birds and they know how to kill birds. You put them anywhere... They're gonna kill birds, so yeah. And that's you know, how some people they got it. They know how to read birds, and yeah. sounds like you've gotten to learn from some some really good ones. Oh man, getting to work with Dusty is like the best thing that could have happened to me, especially for learning how to kill little geese and cranes. Man, I mean that dude, an animal. <laughs> Dusty's but, cool, man. I um uh, known Dusty for for a few years now. I'm mean, probably I don't know five or so years now, and he's he's a killer, man. There is no doubt about that. Um, now. Without naming any names, can you tell us any stories or anything about the worst client you've ever had? Oh, man. <laughs> trying to think. You know, I got a couple. One wasn't a bad client. It was a very bad situation that should have been avoided, shouldn't have happened. Uh, I'll do that one first. It was actually my uh, first year in Texas. Uh, had these dads, there's like four dads and they're and like five sons or something like that, you know? And, uh, we're all laying in the decoys, just smoking lessers left and right. And, uh, had a couple big rainouts and I was like, all right guys, like everybody empty. I'm going to send the dog barrels up keep your barrels up and on safety and keep your barrels up until the dog and me are both back in the, like the line of like the shooting line. And then you guys can put your barrels down. And I've got a couple handfuls of geese. Easy's running at me. The easy's running somewhere. He's got a goose and he's running like at me. He's probably, we're probably 20 yards apart. And this cripple pops up right in between us. And Easy sees it, and he's already running at it, so he starts going faster at it. And, dude, I don't know how Easy's alive. Like, all of a sudden, boom, this bird goes rolling. I mean, like, maybe 10 yards in front of me. 
easy squeals like I'd never heard. And he's about a half a mile away in about two seconds. And I look over and this little kid's like, dad, I got it. And it was just like, and you know, we do safety speeches and everything. And every time we shoot, all right, guys, guns up, you know? And that's where it's just like, I mean, finally I wasn't able to stop easy with a whistle. No, nothing. Finally I was like, Hey guys, we're done. Like looked at the kid's dad. I was like, I mean, it took everything in you not to like freak out, you know, right, like, right. I thought my dog's face was probably hanging off, you know, and his adrenaline running away. Like that's what was going through right. my mind. So I looked at his dad's like, this, you need to talk to him right now. Like, like, and, uh, went over, got easy, settled down, no blood, no nothing like that. But it was just like, holy cow. And it was a great learning point, but at the same time, it was just like, that should have never even that's happened. scary. Yeah. But now bad client. I don't know necessarily. I've had some bad ones, but this is the most annoying, dude. So this is spring three years ago in Canada. Um, one of my local buddies up there, Wyatt and I were, uh, we had these clients. And dude, I kid you not, like we've all met band hungry people. These dudes wanted a band so bad. Like, <laughs> like I think I'd given easy the day off or something like that because he wasn't there and it was white and I picking up birds and, you know, giving everybody their birds. And these guys were so convinced that we were like slipping bands from them. like every bird that you picked up. Let me see that bird's legs. Let me see that bird's legs. And it's oh just like, God. dude, like you guys want to pick up all these birds? Like, like, <laughs> like, I mean, literally every bird. And we shot like 120 that day, I think. Oh my God. That'd be so annoying. Dude. And every bird that I didn't call a shot on, oh, you should have called a shot. That was probably banded. I mean, like, and they were like dead serious about it. It was just like, guys, shut up. <laughs> like, that was probably the one hunt that like when we talk about annoying clients or bad clients, that just was like, I mean, literally show me those legs. I paid money for this hunt. Show me those birds legs. It's like, dude, here you go. Like have a, every single bird, dude. So like day, day, they're day two or day three or something like that. We'd found some little fake bands and dude, we got them so good. They were so stoked celebrating. And they like looked at it and they're like, Ducks unlimited. <laughs> they, they ban birds. Like, no, it's fake. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> oh man, that's but, funny. Yeah, I don't know. There's you always have your bad apple here and there, you All know. Right. But most of the time, man, I've been pretty fortunate with good clients. You know, like I said, you do hear some pretty rough stuff once in a while if uh, somebody doesn't quite understand that these birds are wild and they're not my buddy's not a quarter mile away like hey open the pins release them you know right but i'm sure that oh man why didn't he call the shot or what's he waiting for i'm sure that gets kind of old oh dear when people you know, don't know how to <laughs> what it means to work birds and to finish birds like yeah man want to just, just guns blazing it's like man look there's an art to this thing if we do this right we can really maximize our opportunity but then you got somebody that you got 5,000 coming and the, the, the pair that come in and they're, well, oh, I don't know why we didn't show them. What, what the hell? Or the dudes that just sit up and shoot because they think they should shoot. And it's like, oh, guys, that's one, that's your first warning, <laughs> you know? And it's usually the, it's usually one guy in the group. And it's like, you don't get three strikes. You get two strikes and then you're to the truck. Like, you're not going to ruin everybody's hunt because you can't stay still, you know? And I mean, we'll get new birds here and there, but not a lot. So we're hunting the same geese over and over again, you know, where it's like, if somebody's out there, just ripping away at whatever however high like you'll educate those birds so fast 
to where it's like, there's a lot of times it's like, yeah, maybe I should have called that. And clients are like, what the heck? And it's like, well, sorry guys, next time, you know? Right. And cause I want them, I want to shoot the ones that are actually going to give it up and do it in the hole. Even if, you know, there might be times where you have a hundred swing at 45 and then you let them go around again and 20 actually come back and do it. And the other ones are like trickling out, you know, right. I'd rather shoot those 20 in the hole e- either way, me with buddies anywhere in the world hunting. Cause I want to shoot them feet down in the hole. I don't want to shoot stuff. There's times wind, sun, all that comes into play on shooting them on the swing or shooting them backwards or this or sideways right, or this right, or that. Right. But at the end of the day, I want them fully committed. I don't like shooting stuff as it's swinging over top of me or this or that, you know, especially, especially when you got guys that aren't day in and day out throwing a shotgun around, you know, it's like, and I think that's where a lot of younger guides forget that, Hey, you're calling shots for, you might have eight 60 year olds next to you. They ain't going to pop up as fast as you. So instead of calling it at 10 yards, you might need to call it at 25 30 yards because by the time those dudes actually get yeah, up might be those at, they're going to be at yeah. 20 yards to where if you call it at 10 they're going to be behind you and then all of a sudden you got guns swinging around backwards and forwards and it's just it's crazy um, knowing you your, know knowing your crowd yeah so like crowd. i said we're very fortunate to have some of the best goose hunters i've seen down in texas any seen anywhere in the world and they're all kind of on the same page of hey we're all hunting the same birds. Let's all try to, you know, play fair with them. Let's do it right. Now, let's talk about some of the uh, more positive aspects of the job. What What's your absolute favorite thing about being a waterfowl guide? Oh, man. You know, I love, I love just being outside in the everyday, uh, just being out in God's creation, man. Like, you see some unreal like sunsets, sunrises, you get to see some crazy stuff. And I just love hunting, you know? Uh, and I love seeing people get so excited about it to where like, they can't even like put a sentence together. They're so excited. Cause you know, this 85 year old dude has just shot his first crane. And that's like the one thing he hasn't shot or the kid who just shot his first goose that can't stop smiling talks about it and then comes back the next year you remember this you remember that like to me that's that makes it all yeah, worth it you know seeing definitely people just get so excited about it and i think that brings me back to earth too on you know i've been very blessed to be able to guide and have some amazing friends uh even before guiding that taught me a ton of stuff and we were able to have good success you know and it kind of reminds you, man, like this is so cool what we get to do. Uh, and I feel like so many times we take it for granted and you see somebody get that stoked about what you get to experience every day. Like to me, that makes it all worth it. I I just love that. Definitely. Now, are there any hunts that you can think of that you would consider the best or one of the best waterfowl hunts you've ever been a part of? I'm not talking so much like numbers, but just the entire package, the, the company, the vibe, the birds acting right, the conditions, the numbers, just the all around picture perfect waterfowl hunt. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I got a couple, uh, probably one that makes me laugh the most. Uh, that is just fun. And just one of those days where you just can't help but like laugh about it when you talk about it. Uh, that Creek that I grew up on, like I was telling you about, uh, 
Forrest and I went out one day and it was so foggy. I mean, you couldn't see anything at all. And that creek's maybe shin deep where we were at, probably even ankle deep. And I mean, these ducks were just appearing out of the fog from both directions, no wind, no nothing. And uh, so Forrest and I just stood back to back in the middle of the creek and it's like, oh, I got one right here. Quack, you know, and <laughs> shot our limit that way. Um, that was, that'll forever be one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, Anytime I get a hunt with both my brothers and my dad, that's super special to me. Uh, Peyton, so it was actually my parents and both. So my youngest brother, well, you met both my brothers this year. Mm -hmm. Trevor, he was scouting for us. And uh, Gunner, he, he's playing college baseball, and he uh, was able to come down on his Christmas break. And my parents came down to Texas, and we actually had Christmas down there, which is pretty cool. And uh, Peyton, his dad and mom always come down and – my dad, my two brothers, and me, and Peyton and his dad went out for a Christmas morning crane hunt. And, man, we – I can't remember exactly what it was. We could shoot 18 cranes. So, yeah, the first group of the morning was like a six-pack. Killed all six. And then, like, as we're picking up cranes, it's like, here comes, you know, 15, 20 across the field. Jumped in the blinds, shot. We killed 12 on the dot. It was like a five-minute hunt. And it was like, man – everybody shot good you know it's just awesome. like getting home with family is always like my Definitely. favorite so i mean and it's it seems like the ones that you remember the most that are the most funs aren't the ones that you go out and shoot 100 birds on because you know that's just i don't know to me those aren't my favorite no, i agree I you know, I'm, I'm looking around at these pictures in my office of all these awesome hunts and waterfowl memories at 23 limits and 16 limits in the woods just crazy hunts but honestly i think the most memorable one is one over here by my desk from saskatchewan about five years ago just hunting with my dad and four of my best friends and we picked out green our last day of the trip and it was dude, it was picture perfect i mean huge groups yeah man. wave after waves of mallards just fighting to get into this peat field so mm -hmm. really memorable hunts don't you know don't necessarily mean the biggest piles yeah exactly i think that's where so many people get lost on it these days because it seems like so much of it is like, well, we shot this many. Let's get online and see how many of these guys shot. It's a huge, huge and like, dick measuring contest. Dude, like, you would, like, oh, what's up, Easy? Easy just found his way in. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, even clients, man, like, yeah, they get excited when you get a big bunch of cranes in there or something like that. But even some of my most memorable client hunts were just days where it was just onesie twosies, cranes you know, they didn't come to like, we were the main feed and they went and sat and cotton all morning and trickled over to us. And it was like, all right, guys, we're going to go down the line and take turns. And they're sitting there like, Oh, you missed blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. And they'll like, I've had so many days like that. And clients like, man, that was so much fun. That was way more fun than yesterday. Cause yesterday we just shot and we're done in 10 minutes. And Burned it, them down real quick. It's like yeah. We weren't even like there, you know, it just kind of happened and it was over before you knew what happened. So those are my favorite kind of hunts personally. Definitely. Definitely. Now, Let's talk about the dive bomb trip to final descent last fall. We ran a pretty strong spread. It was like 120 dozen. Worked them over pretty good. Um, would you say that spread was was larger than normal? Was that about average for you guys? Mm, that was about that was that was bigger than normal. I'd say for sure. Um, I mean, what I think we had 11 or 12 guys to hide. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, we don't usually run small when we do that i mean i think i try not to ever go crazy big uh 
maybe on special days where you kind of feel like you have to, but Mm -hmm. I'd say it's bigger than normal for sure, but not like too big towards like, Whoa, I've never seen this before, you know? Sure. But at the same time, you can afford to go that big when everybody there knows what they're doing. You know, it's different when you get to a field with a trailer full of decoys and, uh, 10 guys who's never even seen a goose decoy before a silhouette, let alone at that, you know, and you know, I'm like, yeah. So that was, that was fun. That's for sure. That was one of the sickest spreads I've Very good time. seen. You know, I know you guys, you're, you're constantly adapting with the birds and what yeah. they're doing, how they're acting. Do you have like what you would call your, your kind of go to your safe spread in your arsenal for those, you know, for those good wind days or those, you're maybe even a bad wind day. Is there a certain, a certain spread that you like that you just feel safe with? And then you kind of adjust from there. Yeah, man. I mean, it all just kind of depends on, uh, really what kind of crop it is. You know, if you're in a peanut field, which is pretty much just like hunting a desert, or if you're in like a really trashy corn or milo field, um, or if you have an edge hide or this, or that, you know, typically when I have an edge hide, I, I hardly run anything. I mean, I just obviously still run a presentable spread, but sure. I don't get crazy with it. Um, you know, later on in the season, I mean, there's been times where I've run 10 dozen last week of season or 15 dozen. And there's times where I've run a hundred dozen, you know, it's just right. different pockets of birds require different things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's literally day to day. It's absolutely crazy. Like, you know, Colorado, growing up here, you're hardly ever being able to get permission on an X. Everything's traffic. You know, it's all about where your pit is. Or, you know, we have one of the best traffic spots I've ever hunted still in Colorado. And uh, we don't have anything besides a ditch to sit in. And that's that's kind of where you run into people running the same stuff every day. You drive down I-25 in Colorado during the winter and you see 50 spreads of 30 dozen full bodies out in the middle of a field in an X or a perfect J or this or that, you know, that's what I really try to do is keep it natural. You know, I try, yeah, I mean, I, I just try to keep it natural. Definitely. You know, we made that death from below video from uh, a hunt there it uh, it's been viewed like over eighty five thousand times since early January, and I, I we had a lot of feedback on that spread. I think people really love seeing not only the videos hunting inside the spread, but we had so much feedback on on that spread and how cool and organic it looked. So yeah, um, exactly. You know that was that was a pretty dang cool setup we have. So kind of touching on that, can you tell me how dive bomb decoys have helped you guys not only not only be more successful, but make your operations more efficient as far as setting up and and tearing down. Oh, dude. I mean, honest to God, like they are game changers for sure. A hundred, 110%. Uh, I mean, one, I've had the same original, like I think 40 dozen silhouettes in my spread for, uh, four or five years now mm-hmm. obviously you've lost some from getting shot or the dog right mowing a couple over goose falling on it and 
dude, I mean, I got so many silhouettes in my bags from geese falling on and it's like a head sideways or this or that and <laughs> still throw them out. You know, Hey, they still stick in the ground. They still the paint, the flocking still awesome. Um, probably the thing to me that was the biggest savior for us down in Texas was three, three winters ago or something like that. Three or four. It was so dry that literally trying to put decoys in the ground was like trying to put decoys in uh concrete dude like i mean miserable and like the decoys that we did have at the beginning of the year had these wooden dowels trying to like pound those in snap snap you know you just you could hardly get a spread into the ground and uh like a 10 mile an hour little breeze comes through and your whole spreads on its side well cody was very awesome and saved our ass uh and we had these dive bombs that really nobody had seen down there yet except for a couple guys here and there and that stake system and it was like just slipping right in like it was nothing so we we're like wow dude we could put out the whole spread like i mean it say it literally saved us like it was it was crazy how much of a difference it made and uh you know i love all you guys at dive bomb cody's one of my awesome best friends too and uh it helps that you guys are great people, but two, you know, I make a living off of this. This is literally my livelihood. So if it didn't work or if I thought something could work better, you know, and I know that's how a lot of outfits are. It's like, well, yeah, we get this hooked up, but we still use this because this is better. And ever since the dive bombs, I mean, no wind, the socks still stay open, look great, you know, and the tall, the tall socks have been game changers for sure for us, especially down there you get in those peanut fields and like, I remember the first peanut field I hunted, I didn't have any socks or anything like that. And I was like, I'm supposed to hide in the spread in this, <laughs> you know? So those have been a game changer for sure for everybody. I think everywhere. And just you know, that, I was thinking about, you know, I think the day we were down there, we just for fun on the Instagram story, I started a little timer and we had those 120 dozen. And I think whenever I ended up hitting the, the, the stop, thing on the timer it was like it was like 17 minutes yeah or something. I mean, it was 17 crazy. minutes um and that was just what was at the the end of into december you know and i think yeah. about it a lot from a god's perse- perspective and you're the little bit of sleep you get you know so say let's say you can be one hour more efficient every day for what f- five months so oh, that's what 150 hours of extra sleep and that's 24 hours in a day. So that's like, what, like over six days of sleep gain from a more efficient setup process. Yeah, not, to, exactly. not to mention the possibility of maybe being able to slip in a quick afternoon power nap before you got to, you know, hit the road scouting. Yeah, Just dude, exactly. And that's that. what, that's what makes it so nice. I mean, literally, like you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. It, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm not going out and putting out, hundred dozen full bodies every morning that's for sure you know like if you're running two to three guides on a hunt maybe but when it's you and a bunch of clients that have never done it or done it once a year man i tell you like you can't beat it and uh you know so many people are like oh they shine and this and that we'll do silhouettes shine well i'm afraid to get these because they might shine i hear that so much and it's like man you want to talk about some rough sunset sunrises, go hunt in Texas, go hunt in Colorado. You know, we use them day in and day out. Some of my best hunts, man, like have been on 
sunny, sunny days, you know, or my thing is, man, when you do have a pretty tough frost, they might get just a itsy bitsy tiny frost on it. But the second there's any kind of light, it goes away. It's not like a full body where it's stuck on there for three hours and you're like, dude, that just totally like bummed our hunt, you know? So, you know, and they're, they're very durable. I mean, I do take dang good care of my stuff and kind of jump clients' asses or other people's ass when I see them not taking care of it. Cause it's like, you know, it, treat it, tools, treat it, treat it good and it'll last. be successful every day. Yeah. They're not the last group that's coming through. So you need them to yeah. be you know, looking and good and looking right. Last. And that's, then that's what I have to say is too. I mean, I've had, couple different companies and like i said i've had these for my original 40 50 dozen for five years now i think and you could not go into my bags and pick them out like you just you can't they the flocking is the exact the same darkness the paint still looks great you know i can't tell you how many decoys we have that have 20 holes in them from getting shot and <laughs> they still hold up great you know i don't I don't think there's many things that are a lot more fun than shooting waterfowl, especially little geese from inside the spread. Is there, is there any advice you can give to some guys that maybe want to know a little bit more about how to effectively hunt waterfowl from inside the spread, specifically little Canada geese? Hmm. Have fun. I mean, really be ready to have fun because it's not like anything you've ever seen before when they do it right and you're in there among them, you know. But uh, I don't know. I'd say, uh, honest to God, like really I'd invest in some tall socks. Um, those are awesome. They're a game changer. Uh, and just – and tell your buddies, tell your clients, whatever, just because you do have tall socks to hide under doesn't mean you still put your orange ball cap on and your pie face <laughs> sticking out, you know, like, right. I can't tell me times I look over and some dude's like sticking his face out and like, you just reach over there and turn a top sock and like put it in his right. face. You're like cover your face, dude. Like, you know, just cause you do have tall socks and you're in the spread doesn't make you disappear. Like, I mean, you do disappear, but it doesn't make you invisible. You can still, have user air and mess up but uh I like i said i mean I, I player so many people they they overlook the unnecessary like the things you said like your face the unnecessary clutter in the field the guy with the gun case and the huge blind bag and the shell yeah. boxes and the shiny thermos the honey bun wrapper the red bull can laying right next to him it's like dude that shit doesn't fly like everything that is with you needs to be covered up if you can't cover it up leave it in the truck or the trailer dude i swear i swear i use i use an extra five to ten dozen socks on my hunts more than i would normally just hiding clients or even oh, people's dude. bags dude like even like buddies that will show up sometimes they have these monstrous blind bags and this and that and it's like well that needs a bunch of socks to hide Dude, that you have <laughs> so much stuff like is, is all this really necessary like do you, yeah we're exactly. not like spending the night out here in this field <laughs> yeah so i don't know like i said for people 
wanting to start hiding in the decoys, really the biggest advice is just get you a couple dozen tall socks. You don't need a million of them, but obviously if you move around a lot and you can't sit still and you love to pie face and you got a bunch of crap, then buy some more than you normally would. <laughs> but definitely invest in those if you're going to hide in the spread for yeah, sure. I think I think a key and something that you guys do really, really well with them is – tapering your spread naturally like a, a, a good natural rise like so so many times i'll see guys they just create this rectangular block with their s5s and it it just don't look right like the last thing you want is a box of 36 inch decoys that drastically drop off to 26 inch decoys and i think what you guys do the way you taper your spread and people can see it in that video i mean we put we put that drone like right over our heads i mean we got it all up in that spread and you can see that natural like rise and it just looks so realistic from the air it doesn't look like that you look at it from above like those spreads you're saying in colorado it's like there should be two giant arrows with a neon sign saying die here you know it's like from <laughs> yeah. above it just looks so sketch you know so mm -hmm. it's like man just just as natural as you can nice taper natural rise and like minimize the amount of stuff you've got in the field with you. I mean, just you don't, a lot of that stuff is just not necessary. If you got a shell box, that's got a bunch of color and white and stuff on it, like cover it up, man. Like that, that stuff can hurt you, you know? And, and, and like you said, everybody wants to look at the birds, but guys either cover your head with the ghillie blanket or wear a face mask. You can keep exactly. your gun and your shooting arm on the outside of the blanket Mm -hmm. And you'll be good to go. Everybody woke up early. They spent their hard-earned money and their time on this hunt or this equipment. Just do everything you can to make yourself successful. I mean, of course, there's going to be days that you could be you could be freaking naked in the spread doing jumping jacks, and you can shoot a limit. But those yeah. make-or-break days when the birds mm -hmm. have been pressured and the weather's gotten stale – these are some of those controllable factors that we've been talking about that can be the difference in a good hunt or a bad hunt. Exactly. And that's like, that's what I try to eliminate every day in the field is user error. You know, if I did everything I could, my clients were covered up as best as they could and it just doesn't happen. There's just days it ain't going to happen. Right. Now, if I get to the end of a hunt, I'm like, man, there was something on that left side they just really didn't like. And while we're picking up, somebody's like, oh, hey, there's a decoy bag over here. It's like, that's my fault. I right. didn't go through my spread before light and just make sure everything was good to go. That's when you like, or stick to your stomach. You're like, oh, that's that user error that you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, they usually don't care about those. <laughs> it wasn't the bag that yeah. they didn't like. Control what you can control, people. Yeah. You can control yeah. it. And it's in your control. Do what you can. And then the rest... It's just a wild animal and, and yeah. you can't control mother nature, but if you can control it, you know, it's like a God, you can control your effort. You can control your attitude. You can control uh, how you treat your clients. You know, you can't control shooting limits. You can't con control birds, you know, dancing around their gun barrels all morning, but you can control a lot of things that can be the difference in a really, really great experience with a client. And I've even heard of people that have clients that have shot out for three days, but they've had terrible experience just because their, their God was an asshole, you know, or he yeah. was a prick or he wouldn't entertain a kid's questions. I mean, you got to think a lot of these people, it might be your 
30th, 40th group you've run of the year. But these people, this is that booked hunt that they might have been looking to for a year. Hell, maybe even five years or longer than that. So it's like, yeah, man, exactly. you got to keep in mind, like, this is their time. Like, this is their show time. I know I'm dragging and it's January and I've been doing this all year, but you got to keep in mind, like, this is that date on the calendar that they've had circled for forever. Oh, they've been talking got, about it for months. Yeah, you know, exactly. You got to keep that in it. mind. Just because. Got to keep that in mind. And any crap that's going on, you leave it in your pickup when you walk out to that spread. You know, Definitely. girlfriend's mad at you, this or that. You leave it in your pickup and you deal with it after the hunt. You know, you don't take it out on your clients because, like you said, you could sit there and burn a limit. And if I'm dealing with some personal stuff and it's affecting People how can I'm. People see that too, man. Yeah, especially when you're like being short with clients. Sure. Treating the kid like crap, not giving a crap. You know, they're like, that was fun, but man, that dude was a dud. Like, yeah. I don't want to hunt with that guy right. again. You know, exactly. you um, could you could take a great day and make it much less than great just by your attitude because I've seen yeah. it happen before. Um, so that's oh you, yeah, you make an awesome point there. You know, and there's yeah, I mean, there's days where it's just, and there's days where like you could probably take a subpar hunt and make it an uh, unforgettable experience for somebody just because the way you treated them and you took care of them and in your willingness to try to do everything you can for it to be the best person I've ever been around in the guiding world at that was, uh, well, you met, you know, Jacob, Jacob etch, the one that worked with us this year in Texas. Uh, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude. I mean, I've never seen somebody so good with clients. I swear I could go out and shoot a hundred person limit and everybody shoot their birds one by one and him go out and shoot zero, somehow his clients will have had a better time with him than mine did with me burning the barn down and me being a happy, nice guy. But somehow his clients, it's like, I don't know if he put some trance on them in the blind or what, but man, like clients are like, you know, and he's one of the best crane killers I've ever been around, dude. Like he, there's days where it's like, I can't figure out what's going on. I'm, I'm struggling with cranes. And he's like, oh, shot these, shot that. And it's like, damn, dude, you know, like way to go. Uh, but there's days where he struggled too. And his clients would come back to the barn and they're like, well, the birds are jerks, but that dude is crazy. He's awesome. He's funny. He's the most like, we want to hunt with him again, you know? And there, there will be groups that when etch ever gets out of guiding or if he ever does that it'll be like, Hey, etch, we need you to take vacation off work and come run this group because they will only hunt with you, (laughs) you know? Uh, so I mean that right there can, that, like you said, that can completely change how, I mean, that can, that can change clients rebooking with you, you know? No doubt. And, uh, I think that makes a big difference. It's just, I just, you got to imagine you going on a guided hunt. How would you like your guide to treat you? Right. Exactly. Exactly, man. You're spending your hard earned money and, and you, you, you don't expect a good service out of it. Not just the, not just the hunting, but, the, but you know, you want people to, treat you right and be kind and, and be happy that you're there with them. Now, Hunter, I know on uh, Final Descent social media, you guys have mentioned uh, an operations expansion into Saskatchewan. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, man. Uh, super excited about that. We were blessed with the opportunity to uh, jump on uh, something up there and it should be pretty fun. You know, it's going to be the same crew that we have down in Texas. Uh we're all going to be up there together, you know, been working together for a couple of years. So I already know how we operate and all that stuff. So, um, 
it's going to be a dang good crew and should be an awesome time. You know, most of shooting uh, Canada's ducks and snows. So pretty, pretty pumped about it. Definitely, man. Well, you guys, you know, we know obviously from firsthand experience and just, just knowing you guys, you run a, you know, a first class operation and in West Texas, there at final descent. So I'm, you know, more than confident you guys are, are going to knock this one out of the park as well. Let's just, let's just hope and pray these borders open up and, and everybody can get back to operating as usual. Yeah, man, no kidding. Appreciate the words. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, really feel for all the guys that had a big spring booked up there that weren't able to get up there and do that. So no, I hate that for the, you know, the spring snow guys. And then, you know, a lot of our guys, they do, you know, a lot of spring Turkey hunts as well, that they lost a lot of bookings on that. Yeah, so no our kidding. thoughts are with all those guys. And we just pray that, um, you know, everybody can, uh, pick one and one another up and, uh, those books fill up and we all have a, a nice prosperous fall. So, yeah. um, now, you know, we've been rolling, I guess an hour now. And, um, before I let you go, um, I want to ask you a quick question. If you could give one piece of advice to an aspiring waterfowl guide, what would it be? Um, you know, just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, absolutely gotta love it and uh if you're starting to dislike hunting or get a sour taste of it or you're not there because you love it anymore uh i think you need to step back and reflect on it and see if that's what you really should be doing because at the end of the day you don't want to just lose your love of hunting altogether because it turned into your job you know uh i know a lot of guys that have that I've met through this or that question me when I first were getting into it is it are you sure this is what you want to do why would you turn your favorite hobby into your job and it's like who wouldn't want to get paid for what like they love to do and uh you know I've met guys that don't even hunt waterfowl anymore because they got so burned out on guiding uh that I just ruined their love for it altogether right you know there's that old saying they say if you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life so yeah I think that um, that kind of holds true. You know, obviously at times you gotta you gotta grit your teeth and you gotta go to work, but it's basically just like, hey man, if you if you wake up happy, you're positive, and you say, hey, this is where I need to be with my life, then you know you can push forward and and be the best that you can be, whether it's a waterfowl guide, insurance salesman, firefighter. You know, it, it doesn't matter. I think that applies to to all walks of life. But I I don't know. I really really appreciate you taking your time to join me today. You've been an awesome asset to dive bomb ministries, not only as a person, but uh, just helping us spread the word. And I've told people before we've talked about it, like you're one of the, you're one of the dive bomb OGs, man. Like <laughs> You've been there. Uh, you've been there for a long, long time for us. And, and you, you've really helped us get this thing going. And, and we just thank you for, for helping be a part of what we've got going on. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, I appreciate everything you guys have done for uh, me and the guys I work with as well. Um, I'm just really happy to call you guys all dang good friends and can't wait for another season of hunting together and getting getting the field again with you guys. No doubt, man. I've got my I've got my calendar out and I'm looking through it and we I've I went back and forth with Peyton a couple times we had all these crazy dates and then y'all season dates getting everything set in and making sure we we just got in at, at the right time mm -hmm. and it looks like we are 
going to be seeing you guys the 16th and uh, 17th of December. So uh, we're, we're stoked whether the hunting's awesome, subpar, doesn't matter. We're just, we're thrilled to get back out there and spend some time with you guys. We know it's going to be a blast. So um, real quick, um, one product that you're most excited about that we've got coming, what would it be? Uh, man, you know, uh, I personally, I can't wait to, uh, use those new floaters, man. I think those are pretty kick-ass looking and, uh, can be, obviously we shoot some ducks down in Texas and a little bit of time I get to come back home and hunt that Creek, uh, that I grew up hunting as a kid. Um, and up in Canada too, you know, hunting staging ponds and stuff like that. Can't wait to use those. And, uh, also, uh, the blind, that's going to be a game changer. I think that's going to be awesome. Uh, we've been through the ringers with different blinds as I'm sure many of their outfits are. And you come across one that you like and it works pretty good, but you know, day in and day out the abuse, I think a lot of these things aren't designed for those kind of deals. It's more like the, Hey, let's hunt once a week type deal and like nice conditions. So based off of how you guys have built your products to withstand the everyday deal. I'm excited to see how this blind turns out. And uh, of course the crane socks, that's going to be awesome too. Definitely, man. Well, we try to, in our visits, that's, that's part of the goal is not only is the visit and, and um, you know, hang out and hunt and get some content and just build that relationship is also just finding out, you know, where the needs are, where things may be lacking and where we can possibly help. So, uh, I think, I think, um, the G frame is going to, going to check all the boxes of, of everything <laughs> that we've heard that needs to be, um, you know, improved upon. So yeah, Hunter, man, uh, thank you again. And, uh, we'll be talking to you soon, man. Heck yeah, brother. Sounds good. Appreciate you. All right, man. Thanks. If anybody wants to find Hunter on social media, they can find him at, at hpicket17, and you can find Final Descent God Service uh, Instagram, Facebook under Final Descent God Service. So um, anyway, we thank you guys a ton for tuning in. I know we we all can't wait until season opens, uh, but until then, some sunshine. Go catch some fish, go to the lake, and it'll be here before you know it. As always, make sure you're following along on all of our social media platforms. The response that we've gotten on the Field Facts with Forest Series has been awesome. Make sure you send your detailed questions into Forest. Remember, if your question gets selected, uh, you win a free hat from us. So make sure you're following along on all of our other social media platforms as well. Instagram, TikTok, the Facebook page, the closed Facebook group which is without a doubt the best source for inside information. As always, we are greatly humbled by your support of this brand and we will continue to provide a line of awesome products at an unbeatable price. Have a great week. Y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.